morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Podstetrics, a pregnancy pod. I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. And this is episode eight of Podstetrics. And yeah. today we have a very exciting <laughs> um, guest that we want to introduce for our Q&A episode. So I guess one of the really important things that Evan and I really wanted to achieve when we were talking about starting a women's health podcast was, well, it was important to acknowledge that one, Evan is a man. <laughs> and two, I'm, I've never been pregnant and I've never gone through pregnancy or labor and birth. And because of the topics that we're talking about, we thought it would be really important to get the perspective of someone that has gone through that journey and can give us like an, I guess, an honest and, and, more, a, lived, and, a, lived and a lived experience, experience yeah. about stuff that we can't talk about from that from that sort of angle. Exactly. Like, I guess it's one thing reading stuff from a textbook, but it's another thing actually living and experiencing labour. Exactly right. So I guess as part of our wanting to achieve that, <laughs> we reached out and we had some, we had a really lovely lady named Anna come to us and say, well, yeah, I'm happy to share my story with you guys. Yeah, and we're so grateful for that. And we really hope our listeners learn a lot from Anna's story. So first an introduction. So today we have Anna joining us, who's going to share her story of her induced labor due to gestational hypertension and her instrumental delivery. So Anna, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself also, and welcome to Podstetrics. <laughs> Hi guys. Um, so I'm Anna. I live uh, with my husband, Garth, and our almost two-year-old little girl, Penelope. I'm also currently expecting our second child. I'm about, I'm 24 weeks pregnant. I work in recruitment, which is a pretty hectic full-on job. <laughs> but I, um, since going back from maternity leave, I do, do three days a week. I'm also uh, really interested in, ever since having, um, like being pregnant and having my baby in um, this world. So I'm currently enrolled in uni for midwifery, but I'm actually tossing up whether I want to go down the path of becoming a doula instead. And yeah, I guess things that we're into, um, hubby and I are both into fitness and we're both into CrossFit. I wouldn't say I am at the moment. I definitely am not. <laughs> I'm not one of those mums or women that um, are amazing and continue training. I just watch on the sidelines. <laughs> um, we love being outdoors, going to the beach with, with our little one. And yeah, just mum life keeps me very, very busy. She has more of a social life than I do, I swear. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, can I ask as well, just for any of our listeners that don't know, what's a doula? A doula is probably... I'm, I might not be the right person to really describe this, to be fair, but the way I see it is a doula is probably more of, um, I guess, an advocate, a support person, not and not medically trained support person as such, so not a midwife because they haven't got the medical training, but they... Um, are still there as an as an advocate. They do a lot of, I think, home births and, um, I mean, they also go to, to hospital births and that kind of thing, but they're probably just more of an additional support. They, they go through the process of knowing, like, someone's birth plan and they have, you know, catch-ups and meetings beforehand and then they're there through delivery and then there's also postnatal uh, doulas as well. Yeah, so, like, what I've, I've only seen um, from my personal experience, I've only seen a doula in birth suites. I haven't had the chance to see one in antenatal care or postnatal care. Um, but they yeah. were like that, I guess, the more knowledgeable support person. They did have that continuity of getting to know the woman throughout their pregnancy. They had a really close bond. Um, yeah, it was actually really nice to have them in the room hmm. as well with, yeah, when I was there. Yeah, yeah. it was grass. Yeah, it so, was awesome. Yeah. I know. Why don't you tell the listeners um, a little bit about the story about your pregnancy? So your initial feelings, um, the symptoms of pregnancy that you experienced, and then the challenges that you experienced as well. Sure. So um, my husband, I actually met my husband when we were really young. So um, we'd been together for about 
10 years and married for six before we said, yep, okay, we actually want to start trying for kids. So we were really actually, the feelings were actually, we were quite nervous. We didn't know um, if we'd need any support in like, you know, IVF or any sort of medical intervention because in that 10 years we never had a scare because, and I was never on contraception. So we were just super careful and that was always in the back of our mind that, you know, if we've never had a scare or a thought um, that we might be pregnant, does that mean that we can't get pregnant when we want to? So, um, so yeah, that was probably our initial feelings. But then when we really decided that we were ready to start trying, we were so, so, so lucky. And I know there are many, many people out there that aren't um, as fortunate, but we fell pregnant the first time we really tried. I don't know if that had to do with us being on holidays and, you know, not having the stresses of... I mean, you were in of, Europe, so... We were in Europe, yes. She, uh, she's Italian-made. I don't know if that's TMI, but... <laughs> made in Italy, I should say. Um, yeah, so, that, yeah, I don't know if that was part of, part of what, I guess, helped us, but we just didn't have the stresses of normal, hectic corporate life. So, um, so yeah, that was probably the initial feelings that we had um and yeah because we were in Europe I, I I felt I was pregnant really early on I think I would have only been I would have only been three or four weeks pregnant I just I started getting really tender breasts uh, I was so tired and I remember thinking why on earth do I keep falling asleep laying on the beach in Croatia when I'm on holidays like this is just not normal I'm so exhausted and so the day before we flew out, I did a test and um, there was a really faint line. T to me, I still didn't think it was, it was actually positive. I didn't know at that time that a really faint line meant that, yes, you, you, most, you are pregnant. So, um, yeah, I, I still didn't believe it. And the next morning I woke up with really strong cramps. And um, so we just assumed that I wasn't. And uh, when we got back to Australia, then I did an actual, another test and um, it was clear as day and went and got some blood tests. And of course, it all confirmed that I was, um, that came back at four to five weeks pregnant by the time I got my tests. But my initial um, symptoms was absolutely fatigue. Like I was really, really tired. Um, and then by seven weeks, I started getting um, nauseous and I started vomiting, but I was, again, one of those fortunate people that once I vomited, I was fine. Were you, so were you that, feeling nauseous at, like, specific times of the day or was it just completely random? It was completely random and smells triggered it. Like, yeah. one time we were at the shops and we got in a lift and someone had been in that had really bad BO and then I had to vomit, vomit in the car park. Like, it just, it was literally things things just set me off. Um, oh, oh God, it sounds like Kayla after a night out. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely was not on a night out. I was just, yes. Because <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of the misconceptions yeah. is everyone likes to call it morning sickness, but yeah, it is not yeah. morning sickness. It is random sickness. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so random. Can I ask as well, because I guess, um, you know, going through obstetrics, one of the things that we're taught as medical students is that the nausea, vomiting and fatigue are like the cardinal symptoms of early pregnancy. But obviously as a guy... Yeah. Taylor points out in every episode. I obviously wouldn't know what that felt like. And no, you know, it's my well. opinion. <laughs> and also, that don't, haven't gone through pregnancy, can you describe that fatigue a little bit more? Like, can you relate that to anything or was it just complete, something completely new? Because obviously, and it would be easier for you to compare as well because you do work so much. So you know, yeah. like you work your crazy hours. It's not, there's nothing like it. Like I just, um, I would just, I would be, 
I'd just fall asleep. <laughs> like I said, I was laying on the beach and I was on holidays. I had no reason to be tired. And I know some people snooze on the beach when they're on holidays, but I'm not that kind of person. So for me, it was just so bizarre. And yeah, I do. I'm in a bit of a, um, the, the role I was in before, well, like while I was pregnant and before being pregnant was really, really hectic, like absolute crazy hours. And yes, you're tired from that. And I always used to complain to my sister who has three kids. Oh, I'm so tired from work. And she always used to be like, mate, you can't complain. You don't have, you haven't been pregnant or haven't had kids yet. And I really got what she said once I was pregnant. Like, it's just, um, I, I don't even know how to explain it to someone that, that hasn't experienced it, to be fair. Like, it's, you just can't, you just need to close your eyes, even for 20 minutes, a little cat nap. <laughs> yeah. 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 And why don't you go through some of the challenges? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, the challenges probably were, I started getting um, really bad pubic bone pain from about 23 weeks. Um, it was really intense and I, I, it was in my, uh, like my pubic bone and my inner thigh. So that was probably something that was quite challenging and it lasted from 23 weeks up until the end. Um, I worked a lot during my pregnancy, like 7.30 starts, 10 p.m. finishes. I also, um, I live, I live in Newcastle and I had a major project in Sydney that went for about 10 weeks. So I was leaving Newcastle on Sunday nights, driving to Sydney, working all week on my feet, um, do, you know, facilitating like a set, they're called assessment centres and then driving home on a Friday night. So that was pretty challenging. Um, and it also was really hard on my husband who felt like he was missing out on a lot of the pregnancy, like, you know, the baby kicking and just those kinds of things. Like he came to every single appointment, but just not being together. So I'd literally send him, you know, even daily updates of my belly, like photos in the lift or whatever. Um, so that was pretty challenging. Like I was, I absolutely loved being pregnant. So it didn't, at the same time it was a, it was a challenge, but I really enjoyed it. So another thing that happened during the pregnancy at our 20 week scan, um, there was an abnormality in her, um, in the heart. So it was showing that one of the chambers of her heart was, was like off scale they said let's we need to re-scan um at about in about three to four weeks when the baby grows a little bit more so we can see better and see if it corrects itself that was really hard because it was right the scan was right before christmas so then everything was closed we didn't get to see our obstetrician that wasn't a directly with the scan wasn't with our obstetrician for that particular um result so yeah that was a, a hard hard few weeks but of course everything did correct itself there actually wasn't really anything to be corrected it was actually quite normal but it just happened to come up in that scan yeah that yeah. definitely would have been a stressful time especially over Christmas. yeah um so Anna, uh, if you could go back in time and give yourself some tips what would it be definitely not to i mean i think everyone well not everyone there's a lot of women out there that go oh, i don't really have a birth plan i'll just see what happens and whilst it's nice to have like an idea and a plan, I, you know, I definitely spoke to my husband and I said, you know, if I say that I want, if I say I want an epi, ask them to check how far along I am, like just those kinds of things. Yes. But I was really stressed about the thought of induction or a Caesar. Um, so they were things that really sort of really, really bothered me. And I remember um, at our 33, we went to a normal appointment at 33 weeks and I was actually measuring at 37 so my obstetrician sent me for a growth scan and the baby was measuring at 36 plus five. 
Um, so then they sent me for an additional, like a G, the gestational diabetes test, just to make sure it wasn't that. Uh, but once that all sort of happened, obviously that's quite a large baby <laughs> comparatively to um, where I was in my pregnancy. So that's when he started saying, all right, you need to start thinking about the potential option of, you know, going for a cesarean just due to risks of delivering a large baby. You know, there's things like shoulder dysplasia um, and other things, complications that can happen. Um, so that really bothered me. Like, I was like, what did I do? Did I eat too much? Like, you know, I just started thinking all these crazy things of, I wanted a natural birth. I wanted to go into labor naturally. So if I could change anything and give myself a tip, it would be just calm down. Like, you know, whatever is meant to happen. If you need to get an induction, it'll all be okay. If you need to go for cesarean, as long as the baby comes out healthy, that's all that matters. That would be my tip to myself for sure. Yeah, okay. And I guess I understand that you had an instrumental delivery, but what led up to that? I don't know what led to the, to the actual instrumental delivery, but I did end up getting induced. The decision, uh, you know, the, him saying, you know, my institution saying you might need to think about induction actually was taken away from me because I um, went in just for my normal, te- my normal appointment at 38 weeks and my blood pressure was um, extremely high. And so in my appointment, I was given medication to bring my blood pressure down. Um, he'd called the hospital to make sure there was room for me. And I was being, I was admitted that day um, for just to be observed. He basically said, you'll be here now until you have your baby. You'll be on medication. It was, I mean, he was absolutely incredible. I felt, it's so funny because I actually felt so, um, so calm. Like he gave me a little piece of paper. I went out to reception and gave it to her and, to the receptionist and she was like, oh, you seem really calm for being admitted to hospital. I was like, oh, well, there's no, no other, what else am I going to be? I don't want to be panicked. So look, I went home, I had a shower, I shaved my legs, washed my hair, <laughs> had a really nice lunch because I was like, this is the last time in my life that I will be at home without a small human either crying or asking for my food. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I actually really just tried to, actually was excited. I was intrigued by the thought of labour. Like I said, it's something that's really interested me. I did a lot of um, podcasts listening to. I, you know, I loved One Born Every Minute and, you know, it's just something I was actually, yeah, really intrigued at how I would handle labour. So I was actually really excited. And, um, yeah, so I went into hospital that afternoon and um, my obstetrician gave me the option. He said they can either fit you in the birthing suites tomorrow for an induction or um, the end of the week. And um, I thought, I said, you know, is there a benefit to either or? Um, I was 38 weeks, 38 plus one. Uh, he said, I don't want you to panic. Like, I don't want you to go, okay, it has to be tomorrow because it's really dire, you know, dire. You'll be here, you'll be monitored, you'll be on medication. And I just thought to myself, I don't really want to be pumping my body and the baby full of medications that I haven't had time to look into, um, you know, what the implications they could have on the baby or me or whatnot. So I just decided to, yeah, be induced. And so that night we did the, I don't know the medical term for it, but the balloon. So I, when he did, when he checked me, I was, my cervix was long and closed. I was not ready at all. He said, whenever I, you know, do an internal, her head sort of bounces away, like, you know, just be be open. He said induction doesn't work for everyone. Be open to the fact that, you know, you may end up having a cesarean. And, you know, I just came to terms with that, but I thought I'm going to do everything in my power to get this baby down and 
out of <laughs> out. Um, so he, yeah, so we did the balloon the night before and um, then the next morning they broke my waters at about eight and then started with the Sintosin drip at about nine, nine thirty. And I, as soon as they did all the things they had to do, I was on my feet. I stayed on my feet the whole time. I bounced on a ball. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, it was, and then to be fair, that was the only way I was comfortable. Like I just wanted to be upright. I didn't want the pressure on my lower back. My lower back was quite sore. Um, I remember a midwife came in at one point and just was like, you know, how are you going? And tips to any midwives, don't ever say this to a woman in labour. Um, I, she said, how are you going? And I said, oh, I'm feeling the contractions really low. And she said, oh, you know, you know you're nowhere near it. If you're not feeling them up high, you're nowhere near it. Um, you've got a long time to go. And I was like. It's really deflating. So deflating because I was like, oh, man, like, shoot. <laughs> I've got ages, you know, like I just thought these are intense now. If they're only going to get more, if this is nothing, what's it actually going to be like? Mm. Um, but they never came up high for me. They were always down low. So she was just, she was a very experienced midwife. So I was surprised that she said that. But anyway, I, I said I'm feeling it in my lower back as well. So she got me a heat pack and that, helped me a little bit um and so yeah it, they you know they kept increasing the syntocin um I got to a point where I said I want to get in the bath I had a bath at this at the uh, this hospital that I was at I jumped in but I felt like it really intensified my labor like my contractions were just back to back they were really intense and I in in between getting in the bath there was a shift change with the midwife um, who was this lovely, 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 um, I don't know what it's called. Is it post-grad when she just come out of uni and, um, yeah. you know, that was her first sort of year in, uh, in midwifery. And I just feel she was exactly what I needed. Like she was so, um, she, need, she knew when she needed to really focus me by going, all right, Anna, like we need to be doing this or, okay, you know, Anna, we need to check this or, and then also was like, it's okay, you know, really reassuring when, it, when I needed it. She just, yeah, she was, she was amazing and I'm really grateful that she ended up being my midwife. Um, and, yeah, my obstetrician, he would come in and out and check on me, um, you know, check on the progress. And, yeah, so I just got to the point in the bath where I was like, all right, if I've got ages to go, I need something. And that's when my husband and the prep talk beforehand, um, he just said, you know, Anna mentioned that if something, if she asks for an epidural, she would like to be checked because if she's, you know, at transition, she, she, um, the midwife asked, she's like, okay, between the next contraction, let's get you out. Um, you've said quite a few things that make me think you're close. Like I'd said, I needed to go to the toilet. I'd, um, and so I was like, in between what contraction? Because I was just so back to back. <laughs> anyway, they got me out of the bed and they laid me out of the um, bath and they laid me on the bed and she checked me and she said, you're seven to eight centimetres. And so I was like, righto, get me back up. I can't lay, I can't lay down. It was really, really so much pressure. Yeah. And so I just, yeah, I stood there and it felt like only, um, it felt like 10 minutes, but apparently it was a bit longer than that. And I just nat naturally, my legs just gave way. I started pushing. I was like, oh, my God, why am I pushing? If I'm only seven centimetres? And she's like, you're probably ready. So she got me back up on the bed and um, checked me. And she said, yep, you are ready. She gave me some instructions to start pushing and said, I'm going to call your obstetrician. And anyway, my husband and I were like, oh, my God, what if it comes out while she's gone? Like, no idea. First time. <laughs> 
So I was pushing, you know, and then she came back and then another midwife came back. I'm not sure if that's the normal process or if it's because um, she was a postgrad, but there were the two midwives and my obstetrician came. And before he came, the midwife, the second midwife was, um, she had the little Doppler thing, you know, the, bit, the one that they sit on your belly just to, to hear the baby's heartbeat. Yeah. And she kept moving it lower and lower and you could see that she was, I, even I in my, the midst of my, you know, pushing and craziness could see it happening. And my husband actually said, oh, are you struggling to hit, find the heartbeat? Is that because the baby's moving down, like down the birth canal? And she was like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, trying to keep us calm. And um, so when the obstetrician came in, he, you know, checked everything out. He's like, you're doing really well. Uh, and then she, we saw her call him over to the screen and um, she, obviously they spoke about the heart rate. And so that's when he was really like, all right, I need you to push. You need to push. And, you know, we tried that for, so I remember saying when, sorry, if I go, I'll backtrack. She, when she said, okay, you're ready. I'm going to go call your obstetrician. For some reason I needed to know what the time was. <laughs> and I was like, what time is it? And um, it was 3.30 when we first started. So yeah, by the time he came, he's like, I really need you to start pushing and, you know, focus and the three pushes in one contraction. That was was it felt like a workout to me, like a, like a nice workout. And I was like, I can't do it. I need to stop. And they're like, you can't. So, yeah, it was pretty intense. But um, anyway, so it sort of got to a point where he just sort of said, look, you know, the baby's heart rate is is dropping um, and I really would like to intervene. Uh, he said, his, I remember his words saying, I would rather deliver a healthy baby and intervene than deliver a sick baby and let, you know, and leave it for too long. And of course, there was no hesitation. I was just like, whatever. I said, I obviously need some help. Whatever you need to do, let's get the baby out. I remember saying it, but obviously I was like, what? You know, in my state, <laughs> state that I was in. So he really explained things. It, even in the craziness that it is, he really explained to my husband. He showed things what they were. He showed him what, what it was. You know, this bit goes on the baby's head, which I obviously can't remember that. But I remember him being shown... Um, with the instrumental, so you went with the one-twos, right? The the vacuum cup, not the forceps. Yeah, one-twos. I didn't. We didn't get an option. He said, "This is what we're using. What I'm doing." Yeah. So I didn't feel that. It's not something I felt happen. I don't know if people do, but for me, I didn't. Sorry, Anna. Did he perform an episiotomy? No. No. Okay. Beautiful. How was baby after? Yeah. Um. So she had a little like. The way I would describe it was like a ball. It looked like a just a, like a suction ball, and it looked <laughs> bruised. <laughs> um, and but within twenty four to forty eight hours, it was down. And you know, at the time, I didn't feel like I just was like, yeah, whatever you have to do. Of course, I felt bad afterwards when I saw the big blob on her head, and we were like, oh my god, is she going to be okay? And and she was. I mean, I even look if I look back on photos now, I feel really sad looking at that 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 angle. Um, and they just sort of said, avoid laying her on that side for a few days because it will be tender, it will be bruised. But she wasn't an, an um, overly upset new baby or anything like that. She was actually quite a, a good newborn, I, I think. Um, not that I have a lot to compare to, but it's not like she was ridiculous. She wasn't, yeah, she was fine. Okay. And now just going to, I guess, doc, doctor versus midwifery care, so midwifery and obstetrics. Um, do you personally, mm-hmm. after having gone through a pregnancy now, that they're the same or different? 
I mean, I wouldn't know because I haven't gone through midwifery. I 100% I've gone with my, with this second pregnancy. We're going with our same obstetrician. I absolutely love him. Like I cannot speak highly enough of, of him as a doctor, but mainly um, for me, we really love the continuity of care. So, you know, those regular full weekly appointments and even towards the end, they become two weekly. I think it's actually from 30 weeks, two weekly and then, you know, weekly. You know, I love that it was the same, same, same person every time we weren't, I, like I didn't, he did, I never had a time where he was on holidays for some reason. I just, my appointments fell in line. He was there for the delivery. Um, you know, if I have ever had concerns, I literally could just call. He'd send me for tests if he needed to. He really felt comfortable having the, you know, that, that sort of continuity of care throughout the whole process. Even the postnatal check was really it was quite, it was good to go to an obstetrician rather than a GP. I, I think with midwives after six, at six weeks, do you go to a GP, do you, do you know if it's a GP or an obstetrician? I'm actually not sure. I think they start seeing the maternal health. Yeah, I think it's a maternal nurse. health nurse that will come to the house usually. Yeah. But I think it depends on the hospital you, service. Yeah, you do, but I think at a six, anyway, at a six weeks check yeah. up, yeah. I went back yeah. to the yeah. GP, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, he was, um, you know, we identified I'd actually fractured my coccyx through the delivery. So, like, I just felt I could call, you know, I I I do think if I went through group practice with midwifery care, I would probably enjoy that as well because I believe with that you also have continuity of care and you have your, the same midwife. Yeah, I, I wouldn't change it. I've got, like I said, I've gone with my obstetrician again this time and I would do it again if we had a third. Um, Personally. Was yeah. that you would have liked to be different throughout um, your experience with labour and birth? Um, of course, you know, this might defeat the purpose of the topic of this uh, podcast, but if, of course, mm-hmm. if I had the choice and the option, um, I would have liked to have not needed that instrumental delivery only for her because I didn't, it didn't actually do anything to me. Like I said, I didn't need an episiotomy. I, I didn't have a, any major tearing or anything like that. So just for her little head, even though she ended up being fine. But I know that there are risks with anything. So, yeah, for me, that would probably be the only thing that I would hope, you know, that would have been ideal for me. But at the end of the day, everything did work out okay. Okay. And did your perceptions of pregnancy change? So, you know, comparing before pregnancy and then after pregnancy? Not for me. I'm actually the youngest of four kids. So um, all of them had three children each before I did. So... I was um, an awesome auntie and I still am, but uh, I, I just got to hear all the stories. My sisters both love being pregnant. My, my, um, you know, my middle sister's really also into birth and delivery and she's the one that got me, you know, she was like, you really need to educate yourself so that you can, um, you know, in the delivery beat, have that knowledge and um, know what to expect and even things like saying to Garth, like tell them to check me, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, just she, she I, I just felt really prepared because of my my sisters. So for me, no, I, it didn't change. <laughs> it sounds like you had a really good supportive community then. Absolutely, yeah. Did you ever think about, a, I guess, a home birth or a water birth or having a doula on board? I have never thought about a home birth. I wouldn't personally feel comfortable. I just, I mean, obviously I went with an obstetrician, so I don't know that yeah. I, like, I like having that sort of medical support if need, if anything was needed. Yeah. Um, so, so home birth, no, but absolutely if the hospital um, that I was at allowed water births, I probably would, give, would have given that a go. I felt 
although it intensified the pain, um, I think it would have been much more comfortable than laying on a bed, you know, on my back. Um, so yeah, I thought about a water, water birth. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, as we know, we, we touched on that. I would, I'm thinking of becoming a doula, but I didn't the first time. Whereas now that I've experienced it, I've thought about, um, either having a doula or even inviting a student midwife along my journey this time, um, yeah, just to have, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was just going to quickly input there that, um, midwifery students, which I'm sure you would know, Anna. But um, just for those of you that don't know, midwifery students are required to complete uh, their continuity of care experience. And that's basically along their four years of training or three years of training, they're required to follow 10 women outside of their placements uh, throughout their pregnancy. Um, and from, like, from my personal experience, it was one of the most amazing things I had ever done because I really got to had that opportunity to bond with the woman I was following and then to see her baby be born and then go visit her after. It was just, yeah, it was a really special thing yeah. that I was allowed to do. And yeah, incredible. Yeah. That sounds really amazing because I guess from my point of view, from the obstetrics point of view, all the patients that I saw in the public hospital were really snapshots along their journey. Like yeah. I would see mm. 28 weeks or 32 weeks or in the birthing suite. I never actually got to follow one woman along her pregnancy oh, yeah. yeah and every time i'd see her i'd be i'd freak out and i'd be like oh my god you're getting bigger <laughs> yeah it's funny because um you know i really got into and i asked my obstetrician he was so great like he started calling the hospital and finding the right person and really supportive of the idea of it um but yeah it's just funny because my husband is so hands-on like he actually helps at the end, deliver Penelope. And so I'm like, I said to my, I've been chatting to a student midwife and I'm like, just so you know, I don't know how much you'll actually get um, out of the delivery because my husband likes to be involved. And she was like, oh my God, I love that. So um, anyway, yeah, so I'm going down. I, I think it'd be really cool for her, for, yeah, for the actual midwife to have that experience. But it'd also be nice, I think, for, um, for me, having that also a continuity in, of care in that sense as well. Well, I think in Australia, the student midwives are only required to assist in, uh, I think it's four or six. Um, so the continuity of care patients that they do follow, there's only yeah. out of 10, you know, I think you only need to help deliver about four of them. So she's got another nine opportunities to help in other births. Okay. <laughs> she won't miss out. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> We haven't really talked about postnatal life yet um, in the podcast series, so I'm really keen to know how did you balance everyday tasks with your with your partner? Um, he, uh, I feel really. I don't know if I, if I need to feel really lucky. I think it's a, quite normal now, um, but he is such a hands-on dad. He absolutely loved the um, you know anything he could do. Obviously, he couldn't feed. We I breastfed um, Penelope, and so. We didn't do bottles um, early on. And so anything he could do other than that, he wanted to do. Uh, so, you know, um, Penelope, uh, you know, even in the early days when she cluster, was cluster feeding, um, he would take her and let her sleep on his chest for hours just so I could actually get a block of sleep. And then, because she just wanted to be so close just to either me or, some, or someone. So, um you know, nappy changes, he, he showered and bathed her and dressed her just for that bonding experience. So um, we just, he probably took on a lot of that early day stuff <laughs> for, um, so that I could get a bit of a break, but we definitely shared it. And we still do now, even like the nappies are like, yes, it's your turn. Like, I'll be the last one. <laughs> 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 
just for our listeners who don't know, yeah. feeding is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. So baby will feed or show signs of feeding, of wanting to feed quite frequently in very short intervals. Um, it's completely normal when baby is a few days to a few weeks old and it's quite good for mum too as it aids in bringing in mum's milk as well. So it encourages mum's milk to come in um, when baby is suckling. It's good for Bob's mum. It's not so good because she can't really sleep in between. Um, but overall it is good for mum and it's really nice bonding time as well. And I think um, there is absolutely not enough education on that. Um, I Again, I feel like I knew about it. I have my sister's. Um, and I was really, I did, I actually did a lot of research on it because I was really passionate about giving it a go, like giving it a go as I'm sure, you know, others are, but also was okay if it didn't work. But, um, yeah, I, I just knew what to expect. So on night two and three, when your milk's coming in and they're cluster feeding, I absolutely knew that that's what was happening. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, you know what, like I will never, ever, ever get this night two back. You know, like we will never have this time again. She will be a week old next week when she's doing it again. (laughs) But um, I just tried to embrace it and enjoy it. And I just, I think because I knew what to expect and that what cluster feeding was, I was like, okay, this is normal. She's just being a normal newborn baby. It's not me not having milk or whatever, because of course you you don't at that that point or enough of it. Um, So, yeah. Beautiful. Anna, have you got any advice for anyone who's planning or trying to get pregnant? The only thing, the only advice I would give is to try and just educate yourself, whether that be through listening to podcasts like this, um, hearing other people's experiences, just knowing. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Listen to this podcast, all of them. (laughs) Um, Sorry. Yeah. I would just suggest as much as possible, if it's something you're into, just doing a bit of research and understanding a bit of what to expect and just also expect the unexpected because things don't always go to plan. So, um, yeah, wonderful. And have you got any advice for our medical and midwifery students who might be listening? Gosh, no, not for me. What would I, what I, <laughs> <laughs> I only don't tell a woman in labor that she's very, very far away. That would be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Everybody get a notebook, write it down, tattoo it on your arm. Just don't do yes. it. Yes. <laughs> don't do it. It's, it's not a nice thing to hear when you're in the midst of it. Um, uh, uh, yeah, no, I think, yeah, just, I guess, um, be nice. I've, yeah, be nice to, to your patient. They're going through something crazy. <laughs> I think one of the things, one of the most annoying, a, bit, a little bit off topic, one of the most annoying things that I saw uh, while I was doing my placements was people come in with birth plans and sometimes yep. I've seen people like, they're like, oh my God, she's not going to stick to a birth plan. And it's like, no, empower women to stick to their birth plan. And if they don't, don't make them feel sure. guilty about not sticking to their birth plan. Let For sure do whatever she needs to do to have this baby and to be happy and to be satisfied with her experience. Completely agree. Although we had a bit of a joke because when, when my waters were broken, for me, it was really painful. I've heard women say it's not. Um, but for me, it was really painful. And they said, you know, do you want to have a go on the gas while we're doing this? And I was like, no. And then like 10 minutes, five minutes later, it was like, okay, so what's your pain relief plan for this? And I was like, I want to try without anything. And then they all laughed at me (laughs) and were like, we'll see. And I was like, we will see. And I did do it. And so when I did do it, I was like, I told you. Um, but yeah, I agree. Well, you know, it's nice to have a bit of a joke and we did all have a joke about it, but I agree. Absolutely support 
support the woman through whatever choices or plans they have, even if you know that it likely won't won't happen. <laughs> and, and just to let our listeners know, did you have any analgesia through or pain relief throughout your labour? No, I had I had two goes of the gas, and for me, I couldn't breathe. Like I just I couldn't get any air in. I felt, and I was working through my contractions by breathe by like the deep breath. So. No, I didn't end up doing having anything other than that heat pack and the bath. Wonderful. So you did yeah. prove everyone wrong. That, that, I did. I absolutely nicely done. I absolutely. Yeah. I abs- that's why I went here when she came out. I was like, "See, <laughs> I told you." <laughs> um, so not that it mattered. Not that it, but yeah, but still, it's not nice <laughs> sometimes. It is definitely. Yes. <laughs> So, Anna, I think that's about it for, for the episode. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's, it's really been amazing. Like, like we said at the start of the episode, it's so important that we have people that have actually experienced it talk to us about it because we can't share that experience. Yeah, um, and I think it's nice. I mean, for me personally, I liked hearing other people's stories because, um, again, that really helped with me with my experience and what to expect. It really made me feel empowered. So if I can help even one woman um, know that, you know, being induced or having an instrumental delivery is not a, pro- it's not a bad thing, it's okay, um, then, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be able to share my story. Thank you so much again. No worries. So, yeah, so that's the end of Podcetrics for today. So, again... You can follow us on uh, on any of our social media platforms as well as through our streaming networks by following our link tree, forward slash podcetrics. And, yeah. That's I guess, the end of the episode. Yeah. I don't really know what else to say. I guess we can do here. <laughs> so I'm Ebony. I'm Kayla. Take care, guys. And look after yourself. Thank you.